my wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also presenter of Drive Time every Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, This week, we're following the theme, Five Biblical Roads That All Christians Do Travel. Whether you like it or not, at some point in your life, uh, you are going to touch base on one of these roads. Uh, We looked at the road of sacrifice. That, of course, was looking at uh, the road that Christ walked. Uh, On Tuesday, we looked at the road of discouragement. That was the road to Emmaus. Two disciples had just been through through a tumultuous uh, weekend and uh, they were totally discouraged. It's true, even Christians uh, struggle with discouragement at a times in their in their life sometimes uh, more often than we like to like to give credit uh, today uh, we're going to be considering the uh, the subject the Damascus road and ask is co- is conversion a process or an event uh, now this one's really really key uh, of course the Damascus road is the road that uh, the Apostle Paul uh, walked uh, at before his ministry ever began. Uh, We're going to be talking about that. But conversion, a process or an event, uh, what is it? Now, to guide us through our discussion today, we're going to be joined by our regular Wednesday co-host, and of course that is uh, Pastor uh, David Butcher. And David's the the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Oz. Now, welcome to you, David. Good afternoon, Gary. Hello, listeners. It's uh, it's wonderful as usual to be with you, Gary. And I really, this is a highlight for me every week when I'm here. Oh, it's it's really good to have someone say sitting at the opposite side of the desk to me is actually a highlight. That I, I regard that as uh, well, affirmation. I won't say sitting at your feet <laughs> as a student in biblical time, but yeah, I really enjoy um, this time of the week being part of Faith FM and and engaging with our listeners. Yeah, so indeed. hello to everyone that is listening. Uh, out it's there. great to have you on board, David. It really is. And look, just tell us something. This weekend we have an. Adventist uh, convention occurring uh, here in Adelaide. How are the plans all going? What's actually taking place? Yeah, look, thank you, Gary. We've, we call it a regional, and and we'll, we'll probably have about uh, seven hundred to nine hundred people come together on on this Saturday at the Christian Family Life Centre at Seaton Frederick Road. For those of you that might be in Adelaide, we'd love you to attend. Uh, yeah, we've got some. Um, some some really good speakers, a speaker from the United States coming uh, to talk about, uh, I guess, Bible study groups. Uh, and then we've got a, a minister that will be part of our uh, strategy and evangelism for what we do, talking about um, every member as a minister, every person has a role to play in in fulfilling the great commission that God has given us. This really promises to be a, a fantastic uh, a fantastic weekend. Uh, look, you know, I mean, David, I'm really conscious that sometimes, you know, folk here in Adelaide, I know people everywhere actually, sometimes if they haven't been along to a, a church in recent times, they like to just come along and blend into a 
into a crowd. Now, there's going to be 700 to 900 uh, uh, people there this uh, this weekend. This is a crowd where people could very easily simply blend into and uh, uh, wouldn't be, uh, you know, you wouldn't be highlighted. They wouldn't feel pressured anyway. But if if people want to come along, you happen to be in Adelaide and you'd like to come to our, because our churches are going to be closed, we're all coming to this regional program that's happening at Seaton. So it's 10 a.m. this Saturday at uh, 185 Frederick Road, Seaton, and it's the Christian Family Life Centre that we hire. And uh, we'd love to see you there. So if you're in Adelaide or if you want to travel to Adelaide, uh, we'd love to see you. So that's the uh, Seaton, uh, the uh, Christian Family Centre at 185 Frederick, Frederick Road, Road on uh, at Seaton. And uh, we're commencing at 10 o'clock uh, with what we call a Sabbath school, which is a, this is going to be a teaching time. This it's time. a Bible study t- right. teaching time. Okay. And then the worship service itself is going to be starting at uh, 1125. 11.25. 25 and probably go through till about one o'clock or, or thereabouts. Of course, yeah. I'm the timekeeper there. So, uh, if you see the, uh, the tall, good looking fellow at the, at the front with holding signs up, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's Pastor your, Gary your come and Big say Gary. hello to us. I'd love to be able to touch base, uh, touch base with you. Um, but David, look, let's come to our, uh, to our World Watch, uh, segment for today. And today I've got a, a nice, easy one for you, David. We've, you know, we've dealt with some controversial subjects, but this one's a nice, easy one. A lot of people don't actually realize that it's just uh, this year is actually 250 years since Amazing Grace uh, has um, uh, was written by by John Newton, and that I got this article out of the Religion News Service. 250 years later, Amazing Grace has filled churches, concerts, and even commercials. And uh, this is uh, this is how they present this uh, this particular story. James Walvin, uh, a former Church of England choir boy and professor of history at the University of York, doesn't remember encountering Amazing Grace in song or in his hymnal. It wasn't until he travelled to the United States to. Re- Research the history of slavery that he came upon the hymn introduced by John Newton, a former slave trader, in 1773. Uh, since then, uh, Walvin, uh, the author of the book of a new book entitled Amazing Grace, a cultural history of the beloved hymn, has submerged himself in the hymn, which turns 250 this year and has become a staple of services and has been adapted at, by preachers, performers and even presidents. I wasn't too keen, he says, on Elvis's version. Walvin said, uh, after a recent trip to the Library of Congress, Amazing Grace Collection, which includes more than 3,000 recordings of the song. It's only uh, one, the only one of Newton's hundreds of hymns that gained such international stature. I certainly was not keen, he said, on the 1960s orchestra leader, Man, uh, Mantovi's version, he added. I was amazed to listen to Janis Joplin's version. I mean, who'd think of Janis Joplin and Amazing Grace? He continued, amongst thousands of versions, Walvin is especially fond of the bass baritone of uh, Paul uh, Robson, uh, but needs uh, to give a nod to the Queen of Soul, Arena Franklin, uh, as well as the choir from Soweto, an extraordinarily haunting version of it, he says, saying they're all effective in their own different and very distinctive ways. 
Amazing Grace, he says, has survived, particularly in the United States and especially in African-American communities because its words speak to the human condition of suffering and people coming out of suffering. And its music has a kind of haunting refrain uh, that soothes. It has a unique combination of important phraseology, words, verses, and beguiling and beguiling music. I think young people, he said, find it very hard to get their heads around the fact that here is a hymn of great Christian significance, written by a man who's stained by the brutality and violence of slavery. It's a historical paradox, really, but it extends beyond that hymn. There are millions of people at the time on both sides of the Atlantic ensnared in slavery one way or another who were deep Christians, God-fearing men and women who saw no contradiction in their faith and their behaviour towards Africans. And that is just one, and that's one of the extraordinarily difficult things to understand. Of course, uh, what's not mentioned here in the article is that uh, John Newton actually worked with Sir William Wilberforce uh, after his conversion. You know, John Newton actually was converted. He was a slave ship captain. And it was his diaries when he bequeathed them to Sir William Wilberforce that actually saw slavery in Britain are done away with. Uh, to, to me, that is just so important. The conversion, the change of the heart uh, does impact the way people think and, and the way that they, uh, they act. But David, look, I'd really appreciate your feedback on this. 250 years, amazing grace. It's still around us to this uh, very day. Um, somewhere this weekend, it will be getting sung in, uh, um, not just our churches, but certainly in, in Christian churches generally. But look, David, the thing I'm really conscious of is that, uh, we don't sing traditional hymns and the song, uh, songs of the church are much anymore. Have we really lost something? I mean, do you have any favourite hymns? Yeah, very good question, and and what an amazing song and a legacy, this particular one, Amazing Grace. Look, Gary, yeah, I think there is diversity, uh, and I'm speaking of uh, of, uh, my own Christian walk and denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. As I travel around and visit congregations, some congregations just sing hymns. Yeah. Yeah. Others will sing a blended uh, hymns as well as more contemporary music, and some maybe just contemporary music. Um, for me, I think whether it's a hymn or a contemporary song, the key thing is it's about worship, it's about participation. And what I've personally found generally. David, we're going to jump onto that in a moment. Okay. I really want to do that. But so you look, pushed me, Gary. Do, you pushed do, the button. Do, you have, do I have a, a favourite hymn? Do you have a favourite hymn? I do. I do. So my favourite hymn is uh, Give Me Jesus, and it was uh, an old African-American spiritual song. Okay. And um, it reminds me of a number of things. My father's funeral, it was his favourite hymn, and uh, it was sung at a graveside. It was really powerful by a lady. I remember being in various churches as a, as a minister where I've heard it and also a, a, a performer, Fernando Ortigo, um, he sings it. And for me, it just really touches me, this particular hymn, Give Me Jesus. And in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And it goes on, when I'm alone, when I'm alone, when I'm alone, give me Jesus. When I come to die, when I come to die, give me Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. finally, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And 
for my own personal experience, um, that exemplified my father. He was such a godly man that um, it was God and, and God before yeah. anything yeah. else. And so for me, it's a really special song. Yeah, yeah. I, I know I, myself, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I uh, with my own uh, music joys, I, I actually prefer uh, to, to listen to the, the traditional uh, music of the uh, of the church, and I know that one hymn that really touches me is the whole "Great is Thy Faithfulness." Mm. I, I I love that uh, that particular hymn. Uh, it, it's one that certainly expre- exp- expresses um, uh, my my uh, I think my experience, my Christian experience. You know, God, He is faithfulness. He is just it's new every morning. Uh, you just look at it and you just simply say, "Hey, I am so thankful we have got a God." who is faithful to us in spite of our unfaithfulness. Absolutely. And and I think you've touched on something really important, Gary, and often we find it associated with hymns, but it can be more contemporary songs as well where people just resonate yeah. With a particular song, um, can I now wonder where I want yeah, to? Yeah, look, 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 this is really important, or, actually, or because you... I mean, I think this is really key. I mean, uh, you know, there's probably nothing more controversial in churches than to bring up the whole subject of music. You know, there are some churches that will only sing uh, the uh, a hymn. There are other songs that will, you know, it has to be, you know, unless it's got a, a strong beat and everything to it. I mean. How do I, how do I, I mean, how, you as a pastor, I mean, I know I've got a few principles there as well, but how do you choose appropriate music for worship? And Gary, I could recommend you to the uh, very appropriate minister uh, in our conference who has done a doctorate on, I, yeah, uh, from my understanding, the philosophy. I actually want to get him on here because he's very, very good. He is. So I'll be careful what I say because I'm not an expert on it. But for me, Gary, it's about uh, praise and worship and honor to God. And I think there are some hymns where I've been in churches where it's almost like a dirge. Yeah. You know, yeah. are we really praising God? Do we really yeah. believe what yeah. we're singing? The same can be said for con- some contemporary music. Yes. Because you can have a, a, a wonderful band and performers and praise leaders up the front of the church and musicians, and you've got other people either sitting or standing, and they're silent. Yeah. Uh, it's almost a performance. Um, so for me, ultimately... When the music is directed towards God, mm. such as you said, great is thy faithfulness, mm. um, we're honouring and praising God. Now, I'm sure it's not always the case, but and there are some hymns that I would think are probably questionable. Obviously, there's a variety of taste yeah, and yeah. preference, but there are certainly some contemporary songs where it's all about me yeah, yeah, and the focus yeah. is on me, when ultimately... Our worship should be directed towards God. We're praising and honouring Him for who He is and for what mm. He's done. You know, David, one of the things I know that I've certainly said to my worship team is because I've had this discussion numerous times. You know, it's amazing. In you know, it, I can remember the big guitar debates um, back in the uh, back in the nineteen eighties. You know, I mean, that I thought was, you're going to go back uh, further. Again. No, 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 you can't go back further than that for me. But uh, look, I still re- I do remember that. And uh, I mean, what do, what do I I say to my worship teams, what I say to my worship teams is, uh, guys, uh, what we uh, expect is the people to be able to sing. If the people cannot sing, if this becomes entertainment, then you as a music team have failed. Uh, And to me, I can actually judge whether this is 
quality music that I want to use in worship uh, by simply looking around the congregation. And if the people are all faces down and uh, are basically being entertained by a uh, by by a group at the front, then that is not worship, irrespective of whether it's hymns or contemporary exactly. or whatever you want to call it. Exactly. I, I agree, hundred percent, because. We're here to give praise and honor to God. And, you know, we participate, uh, we can participate in prayer, depending on how prayer is done. Yeah. We can participate in the worship through singing and also through giving. Yeah. But when it comes to the sermon, generally that's, it's one directional. Yes. You yes. know, the, the speaker to the audience. So that praise and worship time, that singing is critical. And the other thing too is so much doctrine can be uh, transmitted through hymns and through Correct. songs. Yes. And, you know, I'm just reflecting on Charles Wesley. Do you know how many hymns he wrote, Gary? Oh, tell us. He wrote six and a half thousand hymns during his lifetime. That has to be more than one a day. Well, and, and some of the hymns that he wrote that uh, many of our listeners would know, and he was uh, one of the founders of the Methodist Church, was, uh, And Can It Be? Christ the Lord is Risen Today, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and lo, he comes with clouds descending, and it goes yeah. on and on. So I don't know about you, but one of the things that has really struck me, I had a speaker come to a regional camp a number of years ago when our children were like three and five, mm. and this particular speaker um, takes psalms, and this is where hymns originated from, takes psalms and turns them into songs. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I bought the CD for my kids, and... Um, a powerful speaker too, this particular preacher, but turns them into songs. His name is Derek Morris. And um, our kids picked up the, the lyrics completely because it was in song. Indeed. And uh, even now I can go back to some of those psalms, beautiful psalms, and I can start singing. So what's the intent behind the music? Is it going to engage the audience? Is it bringing glory and honor to God? They're, they're critical things. What message is being uh, transmitted in the song? What, what's yeah. the theology? Yeah. But generally, I have certainly found that if a hymn or a song can be sung by the congregation, then worship occurs. Ab- absolutely. And Gary, and as a preacher, as you and I both are, uh, I can picture some churches I've preached in where I might be sitting on the front pew or in the seats in the front row almost, and before you get up to preach, there is often a hymn or something, and you feel like the roof is about to lift off. Everyone's yeah, gotten yeah. so involved. And I'll tell you what, when you get up to preach after something like that, you feel like you're filled with power like yeah, because, of, yeah. of, because of the worship experience that has just occurred. Exactly, exactly. David, really appreciate your feedback and your honesty on that particular subject. Let's come to some music. This is Faith First, uh, and uh, this song is Aware There Is Faith. Uh, please, uh, please enjoy uh, Faith First.
uh, Faith first, uh, where there is faith, uh, and what a beautiful rendition that uh, that really is. Uh, now, folks, we do have a giveaway uh, for you today. Uh, now, this one's called uh, The Marked Bible. Now, this is an absolutely electrifying story uh, of what can happen when sincere hearts pursue God's truth at no matter what cost. It's a, actually a story. Now, look, how would you actually use this book? This uh, this book. If I if I was uh, had this this particular book and I had young children, uh, this is the sort of book that you could actually read uh, with them for worship. You know, it's so important to actually sit down and read to our uh, read to our children. Uh, this is a story uh, that is uh, that is literally electrifying. It's a it's a worthwhile story uh, to read. Uh, to your children, maybe at a time of family worship. And of course, family worship is that time when we just uh, gather together at the end of the day, uh, to, uh, to pray, uh, to share, uh, maybe a biblical thought, maybe if you've got smaller children, a, uh, a story or, or two, uh, to talk together, uh, as a, as a family. Maybe it takes 15, 20 minutes, uh, can be an incredible blessing in the life of any family. Uh, this particular book of the Marked Bible is the sort of book that you could actually Utilize to read to uh, your children in a uh, in that type of uh, an environment. Now, look, guys, if you would like uh, your own copy of the marked Bible, uh, you can do that by uh, simply texting us. Now, our studio text number is o four triple eight eight o eight eleven. That number again is o four triple eight. 80811 and uh, all you need to do is to put our code in it. Now our code for uh, this week is SA142. Now that's five digits in a row. Uh, don't uh, don't put a gap between the SA and the 142 otherwise our robot doesn't know what uh, uh, what you're actually talking about. Uh, so uh, uh, our, our robot will then ask you a couple of questions. You won't be talking to any human and uh, then uh, uh, we'll be able to get this book to you in the fastest way uh, possible. Uh, so that book again is the Marked Bible. It's by Charles A. Taylor. Uh, our number again is o four triple eight eight o eight eleven, and the code to put in your text is SA one forty two. You'll really love uh, this uh, this book, and uh, it's great to see some uh, uh, some uh, people already requesting this book, and uh, that uh, code to already be uh, be coming in o four triple eight eight o eight eleven and uh, the code is sa one forty forty two you'll uh, you'll love uh, this uh, this particular book. Now, folks, you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big big Q and A with uh, Pastor Gary, and guiding us through our Bible study today. We're joined by our regular Wednesday co-host, and that's uh, Pastor David Butcher. Uh, and David, of course, is the lead pastor of the Seventh Day Adventist Church right here in uh, in South Oz. Now, uh, this week we're following the theme: five biblical roads all Christians travel, whether we like it or not. There are certain roads we're going to walk. Some of those are the some of those roads are the roads of discouragement. Some of the roads are hard to walk. But uh, today, we're going to look at the road that the Apostle Paul walked. Uh, it's the Damascus Road. And uh, we're going to look at this process of conversion. This is something that every Christian has to, uh, has to walk. But we want to look at it in a slightly different way. We want to ask, is conversion a process or an event? 
Uh, now, uh, David, the story of, of converge, of the conversion of the Apostle Paul is probably one of the most remarkable uh, in the entire New Testament. You get this picture of a blinding light. You get a voice from heaven. You get him being knocked off his, his horse. Uh, you know, so often people are, are challenged because they personally haven't had any of this. Um, now look, you've worked with, you know, lots and lots of people. I've certainly worked with lots of people. What are the hallmarks of, uh, conversion? Do I need to be knocked off my horse and see a blinding light from heaven, um, in order to, um, to say, hey, look, you know, I've been converted, you know, a remarkable experience. How important is it? Yeah. And this is, um, <clears throat> this is a really, Powerful and challenging topic, isn't it, Gary? Because some people will say, well, that wasn't my experience. I didn't have a blinding light. I wasn't knocked off a horse. I didn't hear a voice. I wasn't blind for three days. Um, and so some people then question their experience. Yeah. There are other people, and I, I remember this, Gary, um, one day my wife and I were walking, this is probably 20 years ago, down one of the streets in Sydney, in fact, outside the Sydney Town Hall, and there was uh, religious revival programs going on, and people were saying there that you're not converted. They came out, and I was talking to them. I was a theology student at the time, and they were basically saying, unless you receive the gift of tongues and speak in tongues, you're not converted. Mm-hmm. So there are so many different um, uh layers that we put on what conversion is and yeah. one person's experience isn't the same as another so we're going to unpack Paul's conversion Gary but what you've said there is essentially you know Paul was knocked off he saw a bright light he heard a voice he was knocked off a horse he he lost sight for 3 days that's dramatic and often, even in secular circles, we hear the terminology, a Damascus Road experience. Indeed, indeed. Now, that wasn't my experience, and I'm not sure about yours. Okay, can you just just tell us, I suppose, from the scriptures, this story, I mean, it's recorded in the book of Acts, isn't it? I mean, some yeah. some of our listeners may not be aware of this story. What's actually happening? So let's, let's read it, actually. Let's okay. read the text. Right, okay. So Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Uh, gospel of Acts, and it is a gospel. Uh, chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. And it says, it actually, the title in my Bible says, The Damascus Road Saul converted. Verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas 
for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And immediately fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Mm-hmm. So that's the biblical text, and it's, it's recounted a couple of times uh, by Paul throughout the, the book of Acts. You made a uh, raise a question, Gary. This is the dramatic conversion experience. Mm. And as I'm sitting here thinking and reading, I wonder why that was the case. What's your thinking? I've got some thoughts, and I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. Why was this such a dramatic conversion experience, do you think? Well, I mean, I, I mean, the turnaround on this man's life is just so absolutely remarkable. You know, he's going down to Damascus in order to persecute the saints. He wants to lock them up in prison. He wants to see them executed. You know, he is an out-and-out Jewish rabbi. He is, he is totally convinced that what he is doing is, in fact, the, the Lord's will. And, you know, all of a sudden, on his way down, he gets this light from heaven. A voice from heaven says, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the, if you like, your conscience, which is mm. impacting you. It's hard for you to kick about against that. He falls off his horse, and uh, all of a sudden, he is blinded, and there's an amazing transition that actually takes place. And I think you've hit on it, Gary. Saul, who we now know later on from Acts 13, I think, is is referred to as Paul. Saul is one-eyed. Saul is sold out on the Jewish faith. Christianity is an uprising that needs to be put down. He has letters from the Jewish establishment, the high priest, to to imprison and bring back in chains. Uh, He is a zealot. In, In actual fact... Um, there are some faiths, even Christians at times, that can be uh, persecute other faiths. Yeah, yeah and, yeah. and I don't want to name any faiths, but where they're just, if you marry someone of another faith, you could be put But this to is death. what Paul was actually doing. This is. And so it's such a hard line, sold out approach, one eyed, focused on one thing, that the way that God, I believe, had to get through to him had to be just as dramatic. It's an incredibly dramatic uh, example. But the thing that I'm really conscious about, and this is the thing that I suppose bothers me, David, is that uh, I've I've actually had uh, many people certainly in my ministry, I've had the privilege of talking to them, and uh, they'll say something like this. They'll say, hey, look, you know, and they'll often refer back to the Apostle Paul. It's one of the conversions that seems to really stand out to, uh, to people. You know, I've never been knocked off my horse. I've never seen a blinding light from heaven. I've never heard a voice from heaven, uh, and uh, and yet that's how Paul was converted. Do you think that's a, a normative uh, experience for 
all Christians. No, I don't. In fact, I think um, there are many things that happen in the book of Acts. This is, it's, And the book is titled The Acts of the Apostles, but in reality it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit mm. through the Apostles. This is the commencement, the explosion of the Christian church. So there are a number of things that, it's Genesis if you like, there are a number of things that occur in the book of Acts which may not be normative. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong, I believe there's going to be a revival a latter rain experience where we see similar things happening again. But uh, this is the birth of the Christian church. So, And this is why this topic is critical, Gary, because as you said, there are people that say, this wasn't my experience. Have I, have I actually been converted? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. match the Apostle Paul's, and and, and that in many ways, uh, I've noticed that people sometimes get quite discouraged uh, because, hey, you know what occurred to the Apostle Paul? I mean, I well remember, you know, in my ministry, I think of all the people who, you know, have certainly come in, people I've baptized. Now, I well remember one early in my ministry, uh, a guy he had actually been addicted to heroin. That was a drug of choice in in those days, and uh, he was able to to share with me, and he said the day that I was baptized. I was supernaturally uh, uh, relieved. I was supernaturally uh, lifted uh, from the the burden, the fight against uh, against heroin. He said, "I haven't wanted it since," and uh, uh, that was one of the things that he actually uh, that he you know something supernatural happened to him. And uh, as far as he was concerned in his life, uh, that was something that uh, you, you couldn't gainsay. And yet. Uh, I, I'm so conscious that most people that uh, I've certainly had the privilege of baptizing, uh, you know, they've they've sat down, they've you know, they've they've looked at the Word of God. I mean, there's a command in Scripture: go, teach, preach, mm. uh, baptize. You know, our call as you know Christian ministers, our call as the Christian church is to actually teach people uh, the things which are contained in the in the Word of God, and uh, uh, and many people have sat down, they've studied the Word of God, and after studying the Word of God, what they've come come to is said, hey, uh, this is something uh, I want to accept Jesus Christ into my life. In other words, it's a quieter, more gentle, more peaceful, methodical uh, process for some. That's exactly it. In fact, for most, I'd go as far as to say... I agree. Uh, for most people... That's. I mean, I, I look at my own uh, my own experience, and I might get you to just share a little bit about your own in a little while. But I know in my own experience, uh, I, I certainly uh, was uh, was baptized when I was about fourteen after doing a a series of, of Bible studies with a with a pastor. Uh, my uh, my parents at, at my mother had only just recently uh, become a become a Seventh Day Adventist. I similar. Uh, did some Bible studies with a pastor, and uh, as I looked at the evidence in the Scriptures, uh, it just convicted me uh, that this makes sense. And Gary, did you ever feel that your experience didn't measure up to, say, the Apostle Paul or Saul when he was? Did you ever feel that was mine as? Did you ever question that? Oh, look, look, no, I didn't. But I don't think. I, I think it's an unfair comparison. Is I, my, I my personal I view. I, I think it's an unfair because I, in my experience, you know, even uh, those who are baptized at a similar time to me, most people have actually come from the Word of God. You know, I mean, I think of uh, Christ when he's walking on the road to Emmaus with his disciples. Uh, you know, they're in they're dealing with discouragement. That was a, a situation we dealt with it yesterday. 
yesterday mm. but what does Christ actually do well he opens to them the word of God and 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 this is it you know you can jump and pounce on feelings but but feelings and emotions can be fickle but the word of God is not and and Gary I'm I'm, I'm mindful of the fact in in 1 Kings chapter 19 we have the story of Elijah mm. now Elijah is probably the greatest superhero action man if you want to call it in the old testament very much so everything he does is action continually you know no rain fire from heaven destroying the prophets of Baal all these sorts of things everything he did was big bold and anxious indeed indeed but but near the end of the story he runs away from Jezebel. He's used to the big, loud action noise. Yeah. He runs back to Sinai, yeah. Uh, yeah. probably a couple hundred kilometers, and he finds himself in a cave at Sinai. And uh, we find there in, in 1 Kings 19, God tells him in verse 11, Then God said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Mm-hmm. God is... Not always the God of the, the awesome, powerful conversion experience. I believe often it's that still small voice. Yeah. And Elijah wasn't prepared for that. He, I believe he was expecting something big and bold. Well, guess what? I agree with you. I believe the majority of the time for most people, it's the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings on our hearts as we study the Word of God. And this really talks about the importance of the whole Word of God. You know, because the Word of God has a unique place in, uh, in certainly Christian literature, inspired by by God's, uh, written by the uh, by the prophets them, themselves. And uh, you look at that and you say, "Hey, how important it is that I be familiar with and understand uh, the Word of God." But look, I want to come in a, in a moment. I want to come to to your. I'd like to hear you know your your because uh, I know you've got a an interesting experience there as well. You know, how did you? Make that, make that transition. But look, let's come to some, some music first. This is, uh, 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 Reggie Smith, uh, uh, I fix my mind on another time. Uh, please, uh, please enjoy uh, this, uh, this really beautiful, uh, beautiful song. I have fixed my mind. On another time, on another time And here I mean to stand until God gives me more I know the time 
my course on the narrow way on the narrow way even so my mind on another time a really a wonderful thought and now folks that giveaway book again that we are uh, sharing today is called the marked bible now this is the sort of book uh, that i would be more than happy uh, to share uh, with my read to my uh, to my children uh, the story about the bible this is an electrifying story of what can happen when sincere hearts pursue god 
God's truth no matter what the cost. Uh, now look, this is, uh, this is an older book, uh, but, uh, it's a, it's a real little beauty. If you'd like your own copy of the Marked Bible by Charles Taylor, uh, then, uh, the, uh, the, the number you need to, uh, dial is 04. This is the drive time text number. 04888 80811. And all you need to do is put in your text the code SA142. No more information than that, just SA142. What that will do is trigger our robot and uh, our robot will come back to you and ask you for some information, your, your name and your address, uh, so that uh, we can get this book to you in the fastest uh, way possible. Uh, now, that book again is the Marked Bible. The code is SA142 and the uh, our number is 0488. 808 11. Uh, now you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary and this week we're following the theme Five Biblical Roads That All Christians Will Travel and today we're considering the Damascus Road and ask is conversion a process or an event? Now David, let's come back, we've got about uh, 10 minutes before we have to uh, come to the top of the hour but look I'd be really interested your own experience. How did you know? How did you come to come to Christ? Yeah, thank you, Gary. And, and again, I reflect on those that haven't had a Damascus Road experience. And as I grew up in a in a Christian home, in a Seventh Day Adventist home, a, a faithful home where we studied the Bible, we did family devotions and personal devotions, and were regular church attenders. And and, and I had Jesus in my head, but as I grew into a teenager, he wasn't in my heart. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I would often had growing up seen people that had had not been Christian and had come to Christianity, given their life to Christ. Many of those were dramatic, and as a child and as a teenager that grows up in a Christian home, often you don't have that dramatic experience. And I was questioning that myself for myself: Have I really been converted? And then at about uh, thirteen. Uh, I had um, uh, been part of uh, as a participant in some evangelistic sermons and, and, and a, an evangelistic series, and I did feel the Lord speak to me, and mm. I did feel convicted and uh, became quite emotional at the time, but convicted, and I had further Bible studies, and I was baptized. Now, mm-hmm. that was at 13, and mm-hmm. this is a whole other topic, uh, when is baptism? And we believe in believer's baptism, uh, when when someone is feels and has experienced and 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 understand Jesus Christ exactly Uh, I then as I became a teenager I was still attending church but my heart wasn't there the head was there but not the heart and it probably wasn't Gary until um, if I was to pick a particular meaningful point um, my early 20s to mid 20s where Mm -hmm. Uh, I felt really convicted of, of some things in my life. I felt broken and I cried out to the Lord to forgive me and to change me and to heal me. And I did feel, um, a lift and, and feelings can be deceitful. I'm not suggesting they're not, but I, you know, when I finally surrendered, and I think this is a core component of conversion. Mm. When I had finally surrendered, uh, I felt a weight lift off of me. I've, I experienced a peace. Mm. And and if I was to pick a conversion point, I would say that would be it. If I was to pick a point, but I do believe that conversion is a process. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 31, he says that he dies daily. Mm. 
Mm. And we are attacked by the evil one on a daily basis. We need that renewal every day. We need to seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit every day. And for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to be emptied of self. Mm. And that's a and that is quite a quite a process, isn't it? It is, Gary. And and so for me, my conversion, if you like, uh, I'd felt the Holy Spirit convicting me, and I had surrendered at points, but then I had wandered. But when I finally um, broken, gave all to the Lord. But David, look, you keep mentioning the Holy Spirit, and I think that that one is a, this is really key. But how do I know that the Holy Spirit? Is living in, in me. I mean, you mentioned earlier in the program that you went to a, you know, you were outside the Sydney Town Hall and they were, uh, you know, there was a revival uh, series there and, uh, they were talking about the, the issue that, uh, unless you actually, uh, can speak in tongues that, you know, you don't have the Holy Spirit and you're not converted. I mean, how do I know that I've actually got the Holy Spirit? Yeah, look, very good. Well, first of all, it's a promise. The, the, Jesus promised his disciples they would receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. And, and the Holy Spirit, I believe, works on the heart, works on the lives and hearts of every single human being externally. Yeah. But God will not force himself to be a squatter in our lives. He won't be there illegally without our permission. So when we surrender, when we say, God, I want you to take everything, he then lives in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we should seek that filling every day. Uh, how do I know I have the Holy Spirit? Um, and again, I think we need to be careful with the focus on self, right? Because mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Satan will use feelings to deceive us. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's in Galatians 5, Gary, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. Um, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So, essentially, Gary, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And fruit comes from a... You know, one time somebody said to me, though, uh, David, that, uh, you know, fruit is only evidenced on a mature tree. You know, sometimes a person comes to Christ and they say, hey, look, you know, have I got the, uh, got the Holy Spirit? Well, uh, to me, I, I actually point out to people that, uh, the, f- the fruit of the Spirit actually develop over time and they actually come as a, uh, y- you don't get fruit on a lemon tree that's only 12 months old. That's you, true. You get it over a period of time. The fruit starts to develop, and I believe exactly the same thing is actually true uh, with the uh, with the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, do I immediately uh, see the fruit? I may not, but it will come. That's right. And other people will often be the ones that see the change in our lives, the gentleness, the patience, the self-control. But let's not suggest, and I know you're not suggesting that, that we, the Holy Spirit doesn't come until we're mature. Um, Acts chapter two. This is this great Pentecost sermon by, by the apostle Peter. It says in verse 37, now when they had heard this, this is Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So there's this conviction and mm. uh, to, you have to be convicted of sin and your need before you can be converted. Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
Peter's Pentecost sermon, you'd expect, I mean, what was the result? The result was, then Peter said, repent. That's a turning your life around, which only yeah. happens through the yeah. power of God. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we repent, when we ask God to take control of our lives, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the old life, the old man, so to speak, as Paul says, uh, doesn't instantly necessarily fall away. Now, you've told the experience of someone that gave up heroin. I know people that... uh, that gave up alcohol, uh, addiction to alcohol very easily, but some of them struggled with tobacco. Yeah. So yeah. the minute we give our lives to Christ, repent, ask him to forgive us for our sins, uh, that we're convicted of our sins and we seek forgiveness, we are promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. Indeed. And, and so, Gary, conversion for me is a daily experience. Can I look back to a point in the past? Yes, I can. Mm-hmm. But it's a daily experience, and typically... It's through the preaching of the Word of God or the written Word of God or something like that where we're convicted and we're led by the quiet, still voice of the Holy Spirit. Very powerful. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, I come to you right now. Lord, I'm just conscious there may be some listening to us right now who have never accepted you as their Savior. Uh, Lord, I just pray for that person. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit might descend upon them. Uh, Lord, I pray that if they uh, want to uh, come to you, that you might accept them. Lord, may you give them the peace that only comes with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Dave and Pastor Gary on Drive Time, big Q&A. Please join uh, Drive Time tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan will be considering the Jericho Road, uh, religious leaders that disappoint. And this is the story, of course, of the Good Samaritan, uh, religious leaders that disappoint. How do I respond? Uh, really look forward to your being with us then. But until rem- until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God abundantly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.